Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. If you have ever had some some sort of an emergency, family, medical, gosh, you name it, right? There's all kinds of emergencies that can happen. You probably realize you were either prepared for some things or completely unprepared for others. So today I got an expert for you uh, to talk about being prepared. Uh, he is the owner of Just In Case Emergency Management, uh, Emergency Prep. His name is Nestor Molina. So welcome to the show, Nestor. Good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So go ahead and introduce your or tell your story. You know your military journey. What got you into military? What'd you do? You know what got you to uh, to sit in this chair today? Well, like you said, my name is Justin Molina. <laughs> I was uh, born and raised in Puerto Rico. I I joined the army. I said I signed one too many times. Uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. I don't have any family in the military, and. A recruiter mentioned in the background that they had some range of contracts, and I was like, that sounds good enough. So I joined blind. Uh, I didn't even speak English when I joined the Army. Um, I understood very basics. In Puerto Rico, they teach you English, but it's kind of like, you know, mainland United States Spanish. It's just a little bit, just enough to, you know, just survive. Yeah. Right, right. So I took a language test, and I ended up in Texas. I learned English in Lackland Air Force Base. That was like my introduction to the military. It was the Air Force. So you can imagine the shock when I went to an Army base. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, uh, I'm going to have to ask that here in a second. But you went there. Yeah. Yeah. Shocker. So from there, I mean, I, I came in with a Ranger contract, uh, 11 X-ray. And I didn't know any better. I just went straight through it. Uh, I went through basic training, airborne. Back then, it was the Ranger Indoctrination Program. Now is the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. Uh, rip to go to a Ranger Regiment. I was lucky enough to be selected, made it through, and I started my military career in the second of the 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, from there, went to Ranger School, Striker Brigades. I was a Ranger instructor. I served in Peru in the American Embassy, teaching anti-narco units, some small unit tactics. We had a small team of five, no officers, just us, making things happen. Yeah, uh, hey, you can't complain about that, right? Oh, I will Sorry never complain about officers. that team. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the officers that might listen. Hey, We're yeah. hating on you too bad, you know. You have a purpose. Nothing against you. We just do things a little bit, uh, some might say, faster. Yeah, differently, uh, with less red tape. The, yeah, <laughs> kind of like a, let's get the job done and, and go on. So, But no, that was a great experience. And then from there, I went to Hawaii. And Schofield Barracks, and from there I was medically retired. So I broke my neck a couple of years before Hawaii. Uh, there was there was time. There was time. I know that now. It was it was time back then. It was rough. Uh, just kind of felt like I didn't finish my time. I did 17 years, nine months, and six days, but nobody's counting. Yeah, nobody's counting. Uh, right. I mean, it's right there on my DD 214. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I guess that's what I did. You know what? I've been specific about that before. People are like, well, how long do you serve? Five years, seven months, 20 days. And they're like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's oddly specific. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's right there on my DD-214. That's the only reason I knew it. I mean, oh, yeah. I've been out 10 I've, years. I didn't know that until like a la- like last year and I was looking at it. And then finally, like the number popped in my head, and you know, and now that's what I tell people. <laughs> yeah. When you're medically retired, you go through a whole process of trying to understand that this is what has to happen because uh you know when i broke my neck 
I mean, I didn't break it. The ground did. It was a rough landing uh, on an airborne jump. It wasn't for another five years. I served another five years uh, before we're like, yeah, it's, it's time. And then that's kind of in my transition time. That's when I went to Puerto Rico for Hurricane Maria uh, or for Hurricane Maria recovery and disaster relief. That is by far the catalyst. That's that's when I realized this is what I'm doing when it comes to emergency and disaster management because what I saw there was a lot. It was rough to see that my family was going through it and that we're, we were somewhat ill-prepared. But mainly I learned how reactive we are. And the government is reactive by nature. You know, we kind of have – we need a disaster for, for FEMA to react to it. Right. I am a lot more proactive. So one day I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I'll do it myself. Started my own company, hoping to teach people how to be better prepared for a natural or man-made disaster, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack here because but I'll start with <laughs> Puerto Rico and hurricanes and not being prepared, right? Because you're right, the government is reactive. Right. But it's it's interesting to think. And it's been pretty well publicized, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, some of the failures, successes and failures. Oh, yeah. But for, for an island that gets hit pretty frequently by tropical mm-hmm. storms and hurricanes, it's it's kind of crazy to think that you're unprepared in some ways. Well, like there, I, for so many ways that they're prepared because they know it's going to happen, mm-hmm. you right. know, certain construction techniques and other things and some things are set in place. But it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that other things are just completely forgotten or ignored that you're going to uh, need. Part of the issue was just the way that it was hit. I mean, anywhere in the mainland United States, if a Category 5 hurricane hits it, there are going to be some lessons learned. Oh, uh, absolutely. Plus, we had Hurricane Irma came through the island about two weeks prior and just pretty much devastated the island. It was a Category 3 when he hit. And then you have Hurricane Maria come right after. So we're not even in recovery phase yet. We're still going through the process. And we get, we get hit with a devastating tornado. I mean, if you think of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Uh, five or six, yeah, something like that. Hurricane Katrina completely changed disaster management for the United States of America. Um, now, you put that in a small island that is only 100 by 35, the entire hurricane is almost bigger than the island. Everybody was hit. And so we didn't have communications there with my mom for about three weeks. And there's there's a lot of things that I learned uh, that, in my opinion, I just, I want people to be better prepared. For me, hurricanes are, are my jam. That's what, what got me into this. Uh, for other people, it can be fires or winter freeze or things like that. But at the end of the day, we all just need to be better prepared just in case of an emergency. Absolutely. And hurricanes, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> hurricanes <laughs> is something I've never had to deal with. Mm-hmm. But I took a weather class a long time ago. So just dig deep in my memory. Is there There's a part of the storm that tends to be more severe, right? So something like uh, if it hits so just we call right, it, like that's the part that's, that's the worst. We call it the return, right? Because uh, if you think of a hurricane, it's spinning, it's spinning one way, and then you go through the eye of the storm. Well, what we call the return, it's not really the return. It's just the other side of the hurricane hitting, right? Because we picture like a tornado, it's a lot smaller, but a hurricane is 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 pretty big in size. So 
if you if you think of all the trees are being battered one way, and then on the backside of the hurricane they're battered the other way, then think of a twig or or a branch. If you're bending it one side, when you bend it the other way, it's going to break. That's kind of what it does in, in a lot of things. And and you mentioned structurally, we built houses in Puerto Rico way different than we build in the mainland. Uh, everything is concrete, rebars, you know, cinder blocks, because we are expecting the hurricanes. But that Category 5 was devastating, and it would have it would have devastated anywhere that it touched. That's an unfortunate, I hate to use the term perfect storm, but to have oh, yeah. back-to-back and mm-hmm. not being able to recover from the first one, and that's uh, it's, it's just kind of mind-blowing when, it, when I see the things on, especially on hurricanes or earthquakes in other places, being from the Midwest tornadoes is about all there is that fault line in southern illinois but tornadoes is about it tornadoes and blizzards that's 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 a problem and it's it's crazy because it affects such a small area sometimes where you only think about your own area it's hard to imagine an island like you said it's small everybody know you know knows each other and Mm -hmm. to be hit back to back to back like that's just kind of crazy but i want to back all the way up to you said you worked at the embassy I got to know, yes. like, what what kind of work environment was that? Because that so, sounds like that's one of those assignments that's just so rare, like hardly any – I guess unless you're a Marine, in most cases, right. guarding them. Most people aren't going to have any anything to do with an embassy. So I'm just kind of curious, like, what that experience was like. So the beauty is I worked for the embassy but not at the embassy, which is the best job to have, right? So I was part of a fighting team. It's a field training team out of Peru. Uh, we were stationed in Peru. It's actually out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, and I got a number of assignment. I was selected, you know, for special skills that I have. I spoke Spanish, okay? It's nothing <laughs> fancy. I spoke Spanish, ranger qualified, plus I was a ranger instructor, and we're teaching people. So that you learn a lot uh, in how to become an instructor once you actually go through the courses. And being a ranger instructor teaches you how to teach other people versus just, I guess, sometimes – just regurgitate some information. It's not the same thing. Uh, so yeah, we've all had some teachers before, and we've had those regurgitators <laughs> in front of us. <laughs> right. I mean, I remember the uh, slapping on the table. And it's like you know, direct your attention to the, and then they just point out at something random. It's like we don't we don't do that anymore. Uh, plus, I went through a fantastic course with uh, Glenn Meiser. He actually just retired yesterday from our instructor course, and I I learned a lot. So I took all the lessons learned from being a ranger instructor here in the mountain face of ranger school down to Peru. And we worked independently. We had a mission and we trained their special operations because they have, they have a big fight with, uh, with drugs after the United States went through Mexico and Colombia and all of that, all the well-known, you know, uh, countries for the drug trade, Peru took, you know, the job. There's there's a lot of, of drugs and Sendero Luminoso, uh, it's a shining path. That's their, you know, terrorist organization down there. And we were helping their special units be better. Because uh, Peru has all the microclimates in the world. You can drive through the coast, go through the desert, into the Andes, down to the Amazon jungle. And that's just one trip. That's just a 12-hour trip from where we lived into the Amazon jungle. It'll take you half a day. So you oh, need to learn how to fight and all of it. Oh, yeah, it is. It is a beautiful country. Actually, uh, on my short list of countries to visit. Oh, uh, it, is a, it is a beautiful so country. 
And I got to go to Machu Picchu, which, of course, I mean, if I'm already oh, in Peru. Well, think, I'm going to go to Machu Picchu. Of course, when you're there. Yeah. When in yeah, Rome or cool. whatever they say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's on most people's bucket list, although that seems like quite the hike. But it's uh, that'd be crazy to see, you know, all those different type of environments, you mm-hmm. know, one, one day. Because my experience in South America was in Ecuador. And it was okay. pretty much just all jungle. <laughs> yeah, right. They were kind of doing the same thing, kind of the anti-drug mission. Um, mm-hmm. We had uh, maybe a couple of dozen of us, American person. There was maybe only 100 people, something like that. They, they closed that operation down a couple of years ago. But uh, we were guarding AWACS planes and refuelers. Coast Guard mm-hmm. had a couple of special planes down there. So right. it was quite the experience being in South America. Yeah. And, but I, I mean, for us, it was good. I did not have any special skills. Uh, beyond asking where the bathroom was or for another cerveza. So, you know, that was, that was all I needed. You know, that was, that's all you need. That's what was important. You know, we always had wingmen around to make sure you got home. (laughs) You just got to know where the bathroom is and where the bar is. So it's just, those are basics in any country that you visit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody should know that. But the teaching that's gotta be like really, uh, really, really helpful in what you're doing. Cause I know you're teaching classes on, like, you know, kind of basic and intermediate first aid, maybe if, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken on that, I think you did a class recently for some high schoolers and stuff, Yes, you know, on some, you know, Hey, here's an emergency. Here's um, here's a leg wound or, you know, here's a broken arm and things like that. Take care of that. has got to be really helpful for that. It, it is. It, it, you have to, one of the first things that they teach you is that you need to know your audience, right? I cannot teach adults the same way that I'll be teaching some, you know, teenagers. Um, I conducted a class with the junior ROTC at the high school and they were about to do their mass casualty training. So I gave them some, uh, you know, basic stop the bleed, you know, how to use the tourniquet, how to use compressed gauze. Uh, we, we do some splinting because when I created my IFAC, the individual first aid kit, uh, I wanted, I wanted it from the, from the side of a family. Right. It's like, regardless of what I've done in my, in my career and in my life, my most important accolades, I guess I'm a husband and a father. Right. So that's where I get all of my information from. That's where I do what, what drives me to do the things that I do. And a lot of the individual first aid kids, kids you see out there, they have a lot of stuff that you're not going to use. Like nobody's going to grab a needle and just do a needle decompression without knowing what they're doing. I was like, we we, we can take we can get away with that, you know. So I wanted to focus on stop the bleed, number one, right? Control the hemorrhage and splinting because I have I have put a splint on my son. I grabbed a Sam splint, wrapped it up, took him to the hospital. He fell off the bed and we thought he broke his arm. Uh, he didn't, but I didn't know that at the time, right? And at the hospital, they're like, Oh, who did this? They thought that somebody else have already, you know, seen my kid. I'm like, Well, I did. They're like, oh, okay. I was like, everybody knows how to do this. And <laughs> so you think? I, I guess, I guess not everybody knew how to do it. So that's kind of through experiences. That's what got me thinking about how can I help other people. That's good to think about family too, because in a given day, you know, you assume you work eight hours, you get eight hours of sleep, hopefully. So right. two two thirds of your day is probably for most people around their family, you know, unless yes. you live alone or something like that, but right. you know, around family, friends, you know, close contacts, stuff like that. So it's, it's good to know, to think about that in terms of 
do I have enough stuff to handle issues for two, three, four different people? Right. And and that's where, that's where I started thinking about it. And, you know, if I made, that's where I could not find a company doing what I was trying to do, which is help families or just quote unquote, everyday people, you know, because when it comes to emergency management, you have basic level uh, and let's say Red Cross, like as basic, you go to a CPR class, which are great, but it's just as basic as it can be. And then there are other companies, fantastic companies that are all the way up at the, you know, end of the world scenario, tactical combat casualty care. And I'm like, well, what's in between? What, who's, who's helping a family? And I couldn't find it. And I was like, you know what? I'll do it myself. Yeah, <laughs> it really I- did. I just went like that. It's like, I'll do it myself. And at two in the morning through my phone, I bought the website. I'm like, you know, let me see if it's there. And once I found the website, I was like, oh, I, I can buy it. I got the name. I'm like, I guess we're doing this. That's a, that's a really good way of looking at things. Like I just said, I'm thinking of in groups of like four, because you have a point. Like if you have all the training in the world, but all you have is a package of Band-Aids and somebody's broken their arm or blood's gushing out, mm-hmm. that's not very useful. No. Or if you've got all this advanced level equipment but you have no knowledge of how to use it i mean that's the match that is your important thing. your needs with the skills you know and, yes you know i think a lot of, i mean a good majority of americans are probably in that middle ground somewhere if you look at it like a bell curve you know mm-hmm. most people are going to be in that they need to be prepared for let's just say two to two to six people you know for for like you said, when we met a few weeks ago, and we talked about it, you know, it's, this is not prepping. This is not having your basement full of food. This is, this is, do I have enough food to get through two or three weeks? Do I have enough clean water to get through a couple of weeks? Do we have enough medical supplies to, you know, if a couple people get hurt, you know, we need to get, yes. you know, spare batteries, spare chargers, things like that. Right. Just, and just enough is- a corner of your room or something like that of, of stuff mm-hmm. to get you by until the power comes back on or, you know, to get access to more nutritious, better tasting food than, than some of what's out there. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's the point. Uh, when I was, when I was thinking about the company name, I kept telling my wife and my son, my, my oldest is a senior in high school. So I was kind of running this by them. And I was like, this is not like for the end of the world. And I kept telling them, this is not any like, doomsday scenario this is just in case the power goes out or just in case there's a hurricane or something like that i was like why don't i just call it that why don't i just it's just in case emergency prep and i was like i'm going with it i don't know what's happening but i'm going with it because that's that's really the goal the goal we we consult educate and customize right uh and as we talked before your plan is not my plan it is it is almost impossible. Just the fact that you live in a completely different area than I do changes your plan. Your your possible disasters are different. Uh, and there's nobody else out there focusing on that aspect, right? There's a lot of kind of I call it generic information. You know, everybody knows you should be prepared. Everybody knows you should have something. But not too many people teach you what it is or how to use it. Right. So equipment without exactly. So I I said that equipment without training, it's just, it's called stuff. That's (laughs) it. 
just stuff. So I'm a big proponent for knowing what you are going to use in case of an emergency and knowing why you're using it. And it does not have to break the bank. Like that's, that's one of the big things. If you're going to get an emergency kit and just put it on the basement, just in case of an emergency, it shouldn't cost you an arm and a leg. Like we like to say, you know, it's because you're just going to put it there. So that's where kind of my experiences come in, you know, go growing, not only, in the military, but as a family man, you know, it's a big difference between one child and three kids. So just kind of expanding on that. And so I have another experience to guide a person through their own process to be better prepared. Absolutely. So I got a you know, question on that. What are the common issues, right? If you, if you think about people as a whole across the United States mm-hmm. taking, you know, obviously like I said, regional differences. I'm in the Midwest. It's cold outside. Snow is coming soon. Hopefully not super soon, right? We're, we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. So right. things are coming out. You know, by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be, you know, middle of winter, you know, so we're thinking ahead with spring coming up and things like that. You know, what, what should people really be looking out for, you know, or what are the common things that they should be thinking out that are seasonal or just common emergencies in general? Well, right now for the winter, as as you just mentioned, you have to change your mindset. Uh, one of the things that I see a lot is because of the traveling, you're not going to be able to have all of your equipment, right? Like, for example, we are going to family to a family uh, dinner for Thanksgiving. So if something was to happen over there, I don't have all my equipment. So you need to be able to think, what if something happens? So a car accident is it. It's an emergency. Um, so hopefully you have what you need to not make it or turn it into a disaster. Having your, you know, flashlights and uh, vest, things of that nature. As far as natural disasters, I won't even be concerned about your winter. I'll be very concerned about having your kind of weather here in Georgia or in Florida because we don't deal with that weather too well or Texas. Oh yeah, I was like, God forbid Texas again. Boy, Texas froze last year, right? Yeah. And and they didn't know what to do. And that's nothing against them. This never happened before. So you can see uh, on social media, you see all the like the jokes. It's like that's just two inches of snow. But for imagine me from Puerto Rico, I see two inches of snow, the world is ending. Okay. I don't know what's happening, but it's crying ice from the sky. I don't know what's going on. You know? I feel you, man. I'm from the Midwest and I see snow. <laughs> and and I, I've often said <laughs> the people be like, oh, it's snowing. I'm like, you know what that means? Well, it, what? And I'm like, it means God's saying it's too cold to be outside. That's, that's, that's what it means. <laughs> it's too that's cold how to be I outside. take it. Yeah. Everybody yeah. get inside, get warm. So one of the one of the things that I, like, I wanted to do, because as I mentioned before, they tell you be prepared, but they don't tell you how. So I broke everything down into 10 categories. Uh, the main four categories of emergency management the cornerstones of preparedness are food, water, shelter, fire, right? If you have food, water, shelter, fire, you are going to be okay. It all depends on how much you have. That will dictate how long you're going to be okay, right? Um, And the reason why I put food, water, shelter, fire is because I'm thinking from the side of I'm at home, right? There's a lot of people out there and you, you can, if you type in go bag, online it's just going to be all kinds of different things right 
well, I don't like that name, Go Bags. I'm like, I've always asked, like, where are you going? Like, I don't understand where people are going. It's like, you're going into the woods, but I have a house. Why would I go into the woods? Right. But that's just me. You know, like I mentioned, being a fan of the man. End of the world kind of situation there where you're just running away from foreign. From whatever. Yeah. Or a zombie flesh eating virus. (laughs) That's movie, movie style stuff there. Right. So the way I look at it is if I'm having a good day, I want to come home. If I'm having a bad day, I also want to come home. If it's too hot outside, if it's too cold outside, I also want to come home. So people should have the necessary items to be okay. We're not going to be fine, right? Because it's an emergency after all, but we're going to be comfortable. Okay. So I like to make sure that people understand not only how to have multiple sources of heat, right? Going with the fire. That entails not just a physical fire to warm you up, but a blanket, you know. Why is that a wool blanket is much better than a regular blanket or how to create a microclimate inside of your house. If you lose power and your entire house is electric, you might run into an issue that your house is 30 degrees. Well, you can seal yourself off in one room with nothing more than a sheet of plastic and some tape, have everybody in there, and it creates a much more comfortable environment. A lot of people don't know that, and I thought they did. I thought we all knew, but we didn't. So that's I want to be able to help people in a manner that is understandable, right? It's not just because I was in the military that I know these things. I want to make sure that everybody knows that they can also be prepared, right? I have my military experience. But then I also have a bachelor's degree in emergency and disaster management. So if you marry my military experience with my formal education, you put them together and their brainchild is my company, just in case. It's all in there. Absolutely. It'd be weird if it was something different. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, this is what I think about, right? This is what I, I do. And a lot of people don't have time to think the way that I do. And they haven't lived the life that I chose. So it's great that I, that people like me, right? Because I'm not the only one, obviously. But it's great that people like me exist and took a, a career path that, that showed us a lot of interesting things in how to stay alive. But if we don't share that information, it just felt kind of selfish to me. I can teach my kids, but that's only, you know, there'll be four or five of us. Well, with a company, you can share that information. You can share that knowledge with others. And it's knowledge that we will need. Every season, there will be a different disaster. Every area of the country will go through a different disaster. California is on fire at the same time that we're having hurricanes in Florida. And we all still have to be prepared. Absolutely. And I think it's something everybody needs to think about. And, and when we met a few weeks ago, we kind of talked about this. Being veterans, we already kind of had that mindset of being aware of our surroundings, what's going on when it comes to safety, when it comes to being prepared, how you lay out your gear. All those things matter. Every little detail matters. And we're used to thinking that way. And it's easy to come back out in this veteran world and think that everybody else thinks the way that we do. But they don't. Civilians who don't have any kind of training like that just go through life. And it is important. I know you've got me thinking about my own house. Like, you know, what can I do? Cause you were talking about like, you know, kids and keeping them calm and, you know, put mm-hmm. a little 
um, flashlight headlamp kind of thing mm-hmm. on so that they can see and everywhere they look they're they've got light you know it's like wow that's a cheap and in, in, ingenious way because how often does the power go out a couple times a year maybe it's right. off for five minutes maybe it's off for 10 if you're in a rural area it might be even longer you know i live i live in a town of 30 something thousand people so the power is not typically off too long they get it back on pretty quick mm-hmm. you know because right. if it goes out it's maybe an ice storm maybe a hurricane or uh, maybe a tornado took out some power line somewhere, right? They just throw up some more, run the wires, boom, they're back up in a couple of hours, maybe a couple of days. But there's a there's a bigger impact if if a if an area is more prepared and people can shelter in place and take care of themselves, it's less burden on the professionals that have to come in and do storm cleanup and things like that and medical emergencies. Cause I don't have the training that you do, but being in the Air Force Security Forces, like we did train for for things like that. Of, and so I know that there's a lot of logistical issues, right? Storm comes through, power lines are down, tree branches are down. It impacts the response time of ambulances, firefighters, the police. Um, crews have to be very careful because of those down power lines or gas leaks, uh, water ruptures, like there's all these different things that have to be taken into account. If you look at the city, it's like, you know, it's like polka dots all over the city. There's 10 issues over here, 10 issues over there, five down here, you know? So if you can stay home, you're right. reducing the burden on first responders and, and all the, the aid workers. And you got to remember too, they are going through the same things, right? So I live in a town of 30, about 37,500 people. You know, in the surrounding areas, maybe about 150,000 people up in the North Georgia mountains. But if we are going through a hurricane or a tornado or, or fires, we are all going through the same thing, right? So those firefighters at your local firehouse, they're from the same community. So if you think about it from their point of view, they're going through a disaster twice. They're going through a disaster as firefighters, as an example, and they're going through a disaster as a family. And those 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 people leave their families. And you know how this is as a veteran. When you leave your house, you left your house. You're done. Right. Like that takes, you know, that's that's second place to what your mission, which we did. I mean, I deployed I deployed overseas seven times. And I say I give all the credit to my wife for not only raising my children. Like I take credit every once in a blue moon. But I know for a fact that she did all of that by herself because I was gone all the time. That's why I think the way I do, because it is it is good if I know what to do during an emergency. But what if I'm not here? That's where the family comes in, right? So that's why when, when we mention about the headlamp, my kids know where their headlamps are, right? And then eventually I have to take them and like put them in, in, in my office. I'm like, okay, because... You see them just walking around with a headline. It's like, this is for an emergency. Kids would and then never if we need that. them, if we need them, like, come on. So you get them thinking about problems before they are problems, right? If you ask my 10-year-old, I'm like, Jakey, what do we do with problems? Ah, we find solutions, Papa. We find solutions. I'm like, thank you. That's what we do. We don't freak out because it's not gonna, it's not gonna help the situation anyway. Um, but it's from a place of understanding. I know what it is to be an eight-year-old kid and feel helpless during Hurricane Hugo. That was my first, my earliest memory of a natural disaster was being stuck in Puerto Rico in a house, hearing 
the mangoes and the fruits hit, uh, hit in the roof. And I didn't know what was happening. And there's nothing I could have done. So a little bit of preparation goes a long way. That's why I'd like to say that we, we are prepared. I'm not a prepper, right? I don't have some bug out plan. I don't have a, a, a missile silo somewhere no, in the Midwest. The you know, I don't have any of those. <laughs> I mean, I have friends and, and they may or may not have those things, right? There are levels of preparedness. Uh, but for me, it's, it's about my, my family. It's about my kids. It's about my wife. I mean, uh, we even have a plan for the dog, right? Because he, he depends on us. So all of that needs to be Party taken point. into account when creating your emergency plan. You have to account for what's important to you and how can you keep your family safe. So got a couple of questions off that one. Who do you think are the most underserved or the, the most vulnerable maybe population of Americans that could really benefit from having a plan the most? I think I know your answer, but. Underserved. I mean, there are underserved communities all around, uh, which, I, yeah. which it goes into a lot Under, of. Underprepared is kind of what I'm more what I meant or who who's the most vulnerable to two issues. You know what? Honestly, right now, uh, I want to say all of us. Uh, because even as I started my company, it, it made me have to actually do the things that I believe everybody should do. And it's like, okay, I need to have all of my preparation. My preparation game needs to, needs to go up. Um, the reason why I mean everyone is because the pandemic taught us. The beginning of 2020 taught us, every single one of us, that we're not as prepared as we thought, right? If, if, if you think back just a little over a year ago, the stores were empty. Everything was off the shelves. Oh yeah, you and couldn't it, get toilet and, paper anywhere. And we, you know, there's a, there's a, I heard this on, a, I believe it was on a podcast or or sort on a video. Somebody has a theory that made a lot of sense to me, and I don't know if you if you would think so. So, toilet paper is big, right? A roll, you know, a packet of toilet paper is pretty big. So. If you go to the to the supermarket and you buy 20 cans of tuna, let's say tuna, and I just grab an entire row, 20 cans of tuna, nobody will care because there's more, right? Because it's small. You but if you grab the shelf, right? You, you, right. You're taking one row out. Nobody's going to pay attention because there's probably right. everything around it in stock. But if you grab 20 packets, packs of toilet paper rolls, that's pretty giant. It's going to look empty. Right. So I, I feel um, actually I hope that that's the case. People just bought the normal amount of toilet paper. But then when the second wave of people came in, they're like, there's no toilet paper. And then we all freaked out. But it's because it's, it's larger. Right. It takes a lot of room. So maybe that's why kind of people like freaked out. It's like there's no toilet paper. There, there was there. It's just in the back. We just we just got to bring it forward. Um, yeah, I think fear of loss was a big motivator on things like that too, you know, and I think that could happen in any kind of emergency. Water would be another one mm -hmm. uh, where you just got this irrational fear because of maybe something you saw on, on Facebook or whatever, but you got this irrational fear like if I don't get some, I'm never going to get some right? and I'm going to be out of it and, and how is this going to impact my life? Well, 
the alternatives for not having toilet paper <laughs> yeah. are, are kind of gross. You know, could could you get by? Yeah, as long as you have some water and some soap. I mean, it's you'll be fine. <laughs> it's that's one of the things my friends and I were talking about. It's like I have seven different ways I will be okay, and I'm yeah. like. Why are we freaking out? Because, you know, I was talking with my friends and like I said, we have different levels of preparedness and, and my friend group and we just kind of chuckle at that. We're like, we don't, why are we freaking out about toilet paper of all things? Right. You know, and I went, I went to, I went to, to uh, Costco and I remember I drove, it's about 40 minutes from me and I drove up one morning and I was like, oh, let me see if I forgot anything or just do, do a, a quick check. And I drove up and it's up a hill and the line was outside of the store around the parking lot to the back side of the store. And I'm like, I drove up, I turned around and I came home. I'm like, I don't need anything. So for me and a lot of my veteran friends, we learned that we are a lot more prepared than we thought. It's like, huh. But then a lot of people were asking us, what do I do? When do I start? Well, you do what you can and you start right now. I feel that the pandemic should have taught us to be better prepared. I fear that it might have not taught us anything, right? Because things just kind of like went back to normal. And it's like, it's, it's really not. And I think about places like New Orleans or Puerto Rico, where we have constant natural disasters, it's just like, it's not that we don't learn from it. It's more like, what's going to happen anyway? So why, like, overdo it? But in my mind, if you are better prepared, you're going to be okay longer, like you said before, and that will help first responders and, and the city to actually help you rebuild your community faster. Yeah, I mean, things are going to happen again. Because that's mm-hmm. a really good point. I mean, this happened in 2020. 19, was it 1919? There was the flu pandemic. Maybe it's, I don't know, 1919, 1920, something Nin- like that. Yes. They had this huge flu pandemic. Well, now we have flu vaccines. You know, you get your flu mm-hmm. shots every year. So we found ways medically to get to kind of get past that. And still a lot right. of people die of the flu every single year. Oh, yeah. But without the COVID vaccine and without different procedures and people going home, like things could have been a lot worse. And we need to keep in perspective that it's not if, it's when another pandemic hits. Maybe it's in our lifetimes, maybe it's not. Maybe it's in our kids' lifetimes, but something's going to happen. You know, you got hurricanes, you got tornadoes, you got war, you got famine. I mean, you had the Great Depression along with the Dust Bowl. Right. <laughs> and, and that's where everything combines, you know, when it, what is it, when it rains, it pours. I, I was telling my wife, my wife about this. They will write about 2020. 2020 will be written down in history. There's no question. It's not there yet because we're still going through it. But 20, 30, 50 years from now, they will look back and go, well, back in 2020. And the lessons, we have not learned the lessons yet. Because it's really difficult for you to learn while you're still living it. Right. And you mentioned oh, yeah. the, the, the the vaccine and there's all kinds of different opinions. And, and we're far from over on all this, too. Everything about it was so confusing to me, because if you go from the actual emergency management standpoint. In my small town, we were doing everything exactly like by the book, how it should be done during a pandemic. Like 
when you go to school for what I did, there's a whole semester dedicated to pandemics and how to, you know, shut everything down and make sure that everything comes back in order. Um, at least in my town, the biggest issue was it became a state mandate, right? I live in a small town up in the North Georgia mountains and we were doing what we needed to do, but then it became a state mandate for the entire state of Georgia. I'm like, well, but we're not Atlanta. We're not Cobb County. We're, what's happening here is very different. Like even, even though I live in a neighborhood, every one of these houses are pretty far apart, right? We don't live in apartment buildings. So as far as how we react to a pandemic, or even social distancing is different. Um, so that just kind of brings it to the point of everyone should be prepared individually together, right? I like to say that a better prepared community is a safer community. And Absolutely. overall, that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to live in a safer community. It's just, we all have to learn. And you, I'm sure you saw this in the military. We, we did a knee jerk reaction as a country pandemic is here, shut it all down. It's like, okay. But just like we did in the military, they are second and third order to fix to a decision like that. And it will take a very long time. We're just very impatient. Like if you really yeah. look at it, we're very just, impatient. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think part of the problem is maybe you, you consider it a personality flaw, if you will, for our, for most Americans is we don't like to be told what to do. I mean, you know, from, from, from day one as Americans just don't like to be told what to do. And when right. the government comes down and says, do this, do this, and do this, even though if it, even if it is straight out of the playbook on how you deal with this, mm -hmm. this is how you keep people safe. I mean, it's about I, the I, delivery as well. It's yeah, about the delivery you know, uh, because you I've cannot got, tell everybody. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, I've got friends, you know, I'm sure you do too on Facebook that are on both ends of the spectrum and oh, i oh i don't goodness. i try not to get political on my show and i'm not you know, especially partisan but you got people on both ends of the spectrum and mm -hmm. they believe all this fake news stuff and, and it's hard to know what's even true sometimes i sit here in the middle i'm like you're both stupid <laughs> <laughs> you're both you're both ridiculous you're both behaving irrational like what the government was coming out and saying at least in my state was okay let's shut everything down work at home if you can right if you gotta go out go out like Things seemed pretty reasonable to me. A lot of what I was hearing, this is what you should do. This is how we we're going to attack it. Seemed pretty reasonable to me. If I got to stay at home for a couple of weeks and it, it keeps my family safe, it keeps the neighbors and other people across town safe. Well, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Mm -hmm. You know, I can stay home for a couple of weeks. I got Netflix and I got, <laughs> I got PlayStation and I got computer and I can do some of my work remotely. And, and we did, we did adapt, but then, then things kind of come back to normal and you, it just, it is what it well, is. It, it, it was all compounded. I mean, it was it was just it was a rough year, right? Because you mentioned depression and the Dust Bowl, right? Well, we have a pandemic and elections. Those two should not be together, no matter what, right? Yeah, who designed like, that? Oh my one? goodness! Like, <laughs> why is this happening? So, I like that you said that you're in the middle because I, I am as apolitical as I can be. I could not care less about politics, because when I think about people, I think about disasters. And disasters and emergencies do not care about your social status. They do not care how much money you have. They will happen. Now, if you think about the socioeconomic issues, some of the people that are the most affected are in poor neighborhoods. But that is for a reason. 
because rich houses do not go in areas that could flood because they have the money to do the land surveys and make sure that their house is not going to flood. You know, you look at new places like New York City and the big fires, uh, early 1900s. I can't remember exactly the year is the reason why New York City, a lot of the apartments, apartment buildings are U-shaped because every single apartment has to have an exit. It had an entrance, but some apartments didn't even have windows. And when one of the, uh, uh, the construction site where most of the construction workers lived, they lived in the poor neighborhoods in New York City as they're building the, you know, the, the capital of the world. And it caught on fire and a lot of people died. So that changed how we do things. And the pandemic will do the same thing. Uh, there's a lot of good things that are going to come out of what we have learned. For example, working from home. People have learned, it's like, well, I don't have to be at the office all day to do the same work. But then it got very political. I don't not understand why. Because the emergency is here, regardless of where it came from. Right? I'm, I'm, I think like that. Like, I don't care how we got here. Right. All I, mean, I know is that we're here. Does it matter where the fire started if you're in a fire? No. <laughs> does it matter where the hurricane started from? Not if it's hitting you. <laughs> so let's put out the fire, right? Using the same analogy. Let's put out the fire first and then figure out how we got here, how we can make it better. But it will not be until we stop, I guess, the nonsense that we're going to be able to sit back and look and go, we should have done this. We should have done that. Because nobody in our life, in my lifetime lived through a pandemic. Nobody that I know. There's some pretty old people out there, but people that I know, nobody in my lifetime knew what to do. Yeah, so we're, all, people. we're all figuring it out together. Yeah, the oldest people that we would have in, in this country were basically babies or toddlers last time there was a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously they didn't know anything about it. They're no subject matter experts for sure. Right. <laughs> but uh, but if go- you look at if you look at those people, people that grew up during the just like the uh, uh, when the economy crashed, you follow 70, 80, 90 year olds. They are prepared. Because they know what it is to go through a depression. There's, you look at World War II veterans and they're like, oh, no, we know what it is to go hungry in the United States of America. We have been very blessed and very fortunate that most, not most, a lot of people in the United States do not know what it is to be hungry. Some of us do, right? So my level of preparedness continues to be for the family because I refuse to have them go through what I did growing up poor. Right, we weren't homeless, but we didn't have anything, and that's kind of what I want to bring up. It is not about having ten years worth of food; it is about having enough food to get you through three days, three weeks, three months. That's kind of the idea. Whatever and you do is necessary, right? Exactly, and then just multiply that by however many you need it to be prepared as a family. So, how, where do you think everybody should? anybody who's listening or watching, whatever they do, what are like the first two or three things they should, you know, assess about their situation? Is it number of people? Is it, what are my, the biggest risks? The biggest risk is is something that you should know, right? In your area. Now I will tell you the number one emergency in the United States of America are house fires. There are over 310,000 house fires a year. 
Uh, and a house fire can be obviously devastating, not just for the people going through it, but the uh, the community. After that, you just you know how many people are in your house. So you look at FEMA, Red Cross, or anybody else. I'll say the same thing. You need three gallons of water, you know, per person per day, right? Then you just multiply that. And I think we talked about this. You then you have to think about how you're going to use that water. So you have once again food, water, shelter, fire. You have those four. You add some first aid. That's uh, category number five on on the ten categories of of uh, emergency preparedness. If you have enough food and water, because shelter we already have the house, right? Fire we need a way to heat up our home. Uh, if our power went out, you either have a fireplace or you have a small propane heater that you know takes the green little propane tanks, just plug it in. It can heat up a small room, like I mentioned before, seal off an area, stay in one room. Uh, food and water. Food and water are going to be the number one and two things that you're going to need in your house to be okay during an emergency. Uh, and then you just go from there. You have enough for two, three days. Once you have that that pantry, right, that secondary pantry, that it will get you through three days, then you keep escalating, right? Uh, some people buy enough to have a, a large pantry, but then instead of replenishing, they just use what's in the pantry. No, no, no. Once you have the main pantry and once you have your water, now you work from the back end and you just keep replenishing, right? It's kind of like a savings account, right? You're not going to save $1,000 and then use that $1,000 the very next month because that's not a savings account, Right? You just put in little yeah. by little, you little by little. And next thing you know, you have a pretty good, you know, pretty good pantry that will keep your family comfortable for, th- let's say, three weeks. Yeah, it's kind of a dangerous, uh, dangerous way to gamble there because Mr. Murphy and his damn law, uh, the, moment, <laughs> <laughs> the moment you start taking that stuff off the shelf and using it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have you're going to need to tap into it. And that would not be a great situation to uh for anybody to sit in and have a family, you know, to look at, you know, your spouse and your kids and say, yeah, we kind of used that water last week. Um, we mm-hmm. ate MMREs or whatever. Um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to just eat crackers today. And, and that's we'll, why I like we'll to eat the main to meal use, tomorrow, you know, and that's why I like to pack the way that, that we do. And I try to teach this to as many people as possible. For example, water, uh, you can buy a 50 gallon, you know, uh, drum and put water in it. That's fantastic. Or you can fill up your tub that most tubs in the United States are between 40 to 45 gallons worth of water. You know, if you have a, a good head start and you kind of know, have a heads up that there's an emergency, you know, it's a hurricane or a tornado or something like that, fill up your tub. Uh, but another thing that I like to do in my house, we recycle what we already going to use. Right. Some people buy things for their emergency pantry. They buy items that they will never eat. Never. So it's like, why? Why would you do that? Like we I bought a bunch of fruit uh, in a can. Right. Uh, canned fruit. And my, my son looked at me and like, why? But in my head, that's that's the army thinking, you know, they give you like some food here. You get some random meatloaf and then you got some here's some fruit. So I was like, okay, we need some fruit. And it's like, no, we don't. We, we didn't need that. So you want to replenish with what you're going to use anyway. As far as the water, what I was talking about was 
instead of using just a 50-gallon drum, I like to use a half-gallon or two-liter bottles, right? When you finish a, a, a bottle of juice, for example, you rinse it, you wash it well or whatnot, and then you fill it up with water. In my basement, most of our water is in half-gallon containers. It's not only because we already have the containers, so why would I buy new ones? It's because if I have to leave my home, if there's a tornado and we all go to the basement, to our safe room, safe area, and we have to leave the house. If you only have five-gallon containers, then I'm going to carry that. I'm going to end up carrying 40 pounds of water, you know, lugging yep. it around the neighborhood because, you know, we don't have anything. But a half-gallon jug, everybody in my, my family can carry one. They can put it in their backpacks, in their emergency bag, and take it out. So that serves multiple purpose, uh, purposes. We have water. One of the most difficult things to recreate, let's say, the in the wild is a container. So we have a container. And with the filters that we have in every single you know, emergency kit should have a water filter, we can replenish that water. And we can sustain ourselves. So again, food, water, shelter, fire, and know how to get those, right? You can have your water, but if you only have non-potable water, how do you make it portable? Well, you can use a filter, right? And now you're safe to drink it because you're going to need water, not just for drinking. You're going to need water for hygiene as well. Yeah, you got to keep in mind that's one of those uh, first couple of needs. Yes. Like, I mean, you're not going to last that long without some food and without water. Right. Even in the military, I mean, we were out there in the, in the, in the field. That's where wet wipes came in because you want to do some sort of hygiene, right? Now, think about if you have kids or your spouse or anything like that, you're stuck in the basement, let's say, for three days because there was a tornado or some sort of disaster. After we take a shower, we feel better. You feel better, keep the spirits up. Everybody's doing okay. It's like, you know what? It's kind of rough right now, but we're going to be okay. Uh, the same goes for entertainment. One of the categories with the company is entertainment. And I have a puzzle that I put together with all 10 categories. And I remember a guy online, he's like, I will take out entertainment and I'll put more first aid. Uh, that's too much entertainment. Well, the puzzle piece for entertainment was very large, but that's because the word entertainment is very long. And I was, I had to reply. I was like, the size of the puzzle piece has nothing to do with the importance of the category. Besides, it's going to, it's going to vary by individual anyway. If you have small children, we try to entertain our kids. However we can now try to entertain children without electronics during an emergency. That's where the monopoly yeah. Uh huh. That's where the monopoly, the Uno cars would come in. That's where all got draw uh, crayons, you know, pencils, anything will come in handy. I'll have to try monopoly next time the power goes out. Because well, monopoly can get a little bit, a little bit, you know, yeah, wild. Well, I tell you, people not to let me be the bank because it's the only game I'll cheat at. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. And if the power's out. Dad might all of a sudden have a lot of money on his side. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend Monopoly because, listen, you're already going through an emergency. Yeah. Now you're going through bankruptcy and Monopoly. It can get yeah. – it's too much. That's right. You know, Monopoly but some can... Uno, some cars, learn to, learn to play some spades. For me, I, I to this day, 
one of my favorite meals, which is not a meal, is coffee and crackers. Every single morning I wake up, I have a cup of coffee and I have some crackers. When there are hurricanes in Puerto Rico, you will eat coffee and crackers. And it stayed. I didn't realize that until I was, you know, a grown man. But it's one of those memories that is like coffee and crackers will make everything okay. And then for entertainment, we play dominoes. We play dominoes until the sun went down. And then it's like, well, we can listen to a hand crank radio, put a couple of batteries in, do what we need to do and go to sleep. Yeah, makes sense. So let's want to shift gears a little bit. So for people listening and watching, once you've got all the supplies taken care of, you got first aid, food, water, you got your shelter and fire, should be running some sort of drills, you know, and looking at, okay, hey, if you do need to leave the house or, you know, let's run a drill and see how fast the kids can get their shoes on and get downstairs, and, you know, in the safe space for a tornado. What are your thoughts on how often somebody should be, you know, running some drills like that? Well, you want to do those as many times as you can. But the idea is to trick everybody into thinking this is not a drill. What I mean by that, if you're packing for a trip, let's say for you know Thanksgiving weekend or Christmas, and you have everything packed up, let's see how fast we can put it in the vehicle. Well, that will help you pack and get everything ready to go. It will help you make sure that you don't forget anything, and it's just a drill. Well, it helps you because you're going to do it anyway, right? So instead of everybody right. just throwing things in the car and eventually it's like, okay, let's make it happen. Or the basement. You have to teach everyone what the plan is, right? So it, it, a very well-designed plan is worthless if nobody knows how to execute it. So anytime that there's something, for example, when my kids put the water bottles down in the basement, they know exactly where those water bottles go. Um, and the reason why I do that is not because I cannot do it. It's because I want them to know. And if I say at any moment, Hey, we need water. They know where to get it. Uh, now there are other events like, uh, like a fire ladder. I have a fire ladder on the second floor. So we haven't practiced that one because that is like, I mean, my emergency (laughs) to the, well, if you think of, you know, in the military, we use a pace plan, right? Primary alternate you know, contingency and emergency. If there's a house fire, if I'm stuck in the second floor and we need to use the fire ladder, I'm going to be the one doing it. But believe me, I park my truck where I do on purpose. It is directly below my son's room and you can jump on the truck. It's probably like a five foot drop. It looks high, but it's not. So you can jump on top of the truck and then get down from there. And we have ran, not the full drill. Okay. It's with yeah. I'm not, I'm not, You know, hey, kids, jump off the roof and let's see what happens. (laughs) But I do talk to my kids about it. You know, I was like, if something like this was to happen, you know, what would we do? And you make them have to think about it when there's when everything is safe, because during an emergency is not the time to practice. So as often as you can, you know, if you have a flat tire, bring them out. Let me show you what I'm doing. Right. Because it'll be great. If the head of the house knows what's, what, you know, what they're doing, but we all need to, right? Uh, in my house, we had, a, we had a small fire last year for Christmas. We had Christmas Eve dinner was going to be at my house. So we cleaned the oven and we forgot the lamp that we used to clean to, so we could see in the oven. We forgot it inside of the oven. 
that when when we turn on the oven to start cooking for the night, it was on fire. And I, I remember I was in the garage and my wife goes, she comes over, opens the door, the oven's on fire. I'm like, what do you mean the oven's on fire? I don't have heard some crazy stuff over the radio overseas and so many deployments, but I have never heard the oven's on fire. I was like, what do you mean? Maybe the stovetop, but the oven? No, nope, the <laughs> oven is on fire. And she's like, the oven's on fire. I'm like, okay. So I put I put down what I was doing. I walk up the stairs, came to my kitchen, and I look at her. I was like, that is true. The oven is on fire. So I turned around and I grabbed the fire extinguisher from under my sink. You know, unhooked the pin, ready to go. Did a little test drive. I'm still working because I didn't know what kind of fire it was. I told her, I told my kids to get out of the kitchen. And I said, you open the door and move out of the way and I'm going to spray. So that's what we did because we, we couldn't really see. Very small fire. Very, very small. Because it was contained to the lamp that we forgot inside of the, inside of the oven. But if we didn't have a fire extinguisher, this could have been bad. Or if my wife was not as calm as she was, this could have been bad, right? Because she just walked over to the garage. She's like, uh, honey, the oven's on fire. And she told me, she's like, instead of me trying to figure out how to do the fire extinguisher and do it all, I just, I call you. And then the two of us just tackle the situation. It's like, and then we clean the rest of the night because yeah. that fire extinguisher spray, it goes everywhere. But it keeps you but, calm too in the emergency when she comes to you in, in the right way and vice versa. If you right. want to go to her in calm. emergency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see some videos and it's people are freaking out because they never thought about it. But these are normal emergencies. Now, that emergency that happened to us, right? The oven is on fire. It could have been a disaster if we didn't know what to do and we just let it burn and our entire home catches on fire. When all we needed was one fire extinguisher that cost me, I don't know, $30 under the sink in the opposite side of the kitchen. Oh, let's use it. And we learned that day <clears throat> because once the emergency was taken care of, I was like, I was telling my family, it's like, this is how you do it. And I realized I never taught them how to use a fire extinguisher before. And I was like, you know what? What is the point? If I know how to do it, but they don't, what if I'm not here? So that night, Right after we finished cleaning, I don't actually, I don't think we were done cleaning. I showed my family how to use a fire extinguisher. It's like this, where you take the pain, you do this, you do that. And that keeps everybody calm, right? One of the things I discover is a lot of people are, are very concerned about emergencies because their level of knowledge is very low. So their level of concern is very high. Now, there's nothing I can do to bring your level of concern down. All I can do is bring your level of knowledge up and then it balances out. Right. That's deep. That, that <laughs> makes perfectly clear sense. No, I mean, it really does. It's like, wow. Dang. That's a new, that's a new, I should, wow, I should I have that written down somewhere. <laughs> that is a good one. You know, and I was going to, I was going to make a suggestion too, like, Get your get your thoughts on this. Just as something actionable that listeners can do, especially if they have kids, is maybe because we ran a lot of exercises when I was in the Air Force, right? Uh-huh. And and the flight chief would usually say, you know, at guard mount, like, hey, we got to run a couple of exercises. It's middle of the night, you know, nothing happens. We're gonna run one. To, we're gonna run something tonight. Uh-huh. Everybody was prepared in the back of their mind, 
there's something that's going to happen that I'm going to have to respond to. And I'm going to have to respond mm-hmm. the way I'm trained, but I know it's an exercise. So I don't need to go a hundred miles an hour. Right. I need to go 50 and show some effort, but get the steps right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's something that you could do, you know, especially as a parent or maybe even if you're you know older and you don't have kids in the house, maybe your, your parents live with you or whatever, mm-hmm. or maybe even train your dog, but run a drill, but probably more specifically with kids, maybe pick one day out of the month. Let's just say the first, the first of every month you tell your Mm -hmm. kids and you do it like clockwork every first. If it's a school day, you do it when they come home from school sometime. If it's a a weekend, say, Hey, look, it's the first, you know, once you know, at some point in time today, we're running a drill. Could be a fire drill. Could be a tornado drill. Could be, we need to get out of the house. um, Whatever. Right? right, or I'm going to need you to do this, do that. Come up with a list of, of your top five or six different things that could happen, mm-hmm. and and organize some sort of drill. Train them on it, train them on it, and then boom, you know, when they're least expecting it, when they're playing video games and they got their feet propped up on the couch and they're eating their their crackers and drinking their juice. <laughs> hey, kids, this is your exercise. Here's a fire drill. What are you doing? Go. Let me see and the best thing is. is, they they respond to drills, especially children. They respond to drills very well because in the school system, they do drills a lot. Uh, so when they respond, unfortunately, too many people think that if there's an emergency, I'm just going to turn it on. I'm going to flip a switch and I'm going to know what to do. That's incorrect. That will never happen. I know this from my military career. You do what you were trained to do. That's why we train, right? Because some people think that when you're in the military, you just deploy and do things. It's like, well, yeah, that's that's one portion. The, the actual deployment is a very small portion compared to all the training that it took for us to conduct that deployment. So running a drill, if you want to run a drill every first of the month, that's a fantastic idea. And then you, another thing that I would recommend is have them come up with the emergency. Right. Like you're coming up with a plan, but have them come up with the emergency. And that will also help you see things from their world, from their point of view. Right. Because we're seeing things over here. We don't see what they see. So what for us might be something simple for them might be very difficult. Because if you have a a six year old, five, six year old, just leaving the house from their point of view is very different than from your point of view. Right. And then you can also reel them in because they might be like, well, aliens are landing. It's like, okay. And then you (laughs) see where their head is at. It's like, well, if aliens land, we need a better plan. Let's focus on something that could happen now. We're arming up in that case. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, if the aliens land, it's a whole different plan. It's game on. Yeah, that's that's way different. For now, we're just going to focus on natural disasters, man-made stuff, you know, just kind of tornadoes, hurricanes, flash floods. What do we do just in case? And ask them what their biggest concern is. And you'd be surprised of what they say uh, because they run drills in schools. They, They do, and they remember them, too. Yeah, I mean, I think about my kids and their age. They're they're not old enough to be left home alone, or right. be left with each other. So, the idea of them being home, even by themselves, you know, home alone, accident, you know, something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a that's a really good one too. 
Because yeah, and it's, it's, and it's for everything. You got to think about it as a parent too. Like it, it that is good to know. Like it's it's hard to conceive. You get this this cases where people leave their kids in a car. It's hard as a parent to be like, how does that even happen? But it does. Yeah, it does happen, and I don't know why, but it does. So if it happens to people who over here, why could why couldn't it happen to you? Maybe not leaving in a car, but accidentally leave them at home. Or what happens if you do leave them at home because you think they're old enough, but not because every state is different. I think Illinois is like 14 or something mm-hmm. like that. I can tell you my oldest would be perfectly fine staying at home by himself. <laughs> okay. He's, right. he, he, he's scared of the oven. I mean, he, he's not going to go start cooking SpaghettiOs <laughs> on the, on, or, or putting a pizza in the oven. He can use the microwave, you know, even, you know, but my youngest would, would probably freak out. Or get in trouble, right. or you know, it's, so it'd be inter- It is a good point to see where their mind is at and how yes. would they react. And, and or that's a good drill to do. Leave them at home. Like just walk outside. Say, oh, boom! Here's the drill. I'm going outside. What are you doing? You know, I used to. That just reminded me. I used to when I was when I was little. I had to walk my sister in kindergarten back home. Right. I was. We're four years apart, so I w- we'll be in elementary school together. And even back then, like it just reminded me, I used to let her go. I was like, okay, you go. I was like, uh, you know how to get home. We walk the same route every day. Go. And I will stop at the end of the block. And she didn't know I was there. And I'm looking and I watched her make the turns in the neighborhood. It was like a 15 minute walk, you know, but when you're in kindergarten with tiny legs, it's a long <laughs> walk and you're, you're by yourself. And I remember I will cut across some neighbors you know, cut, cut across their yard and I can see, cause you know, it's around the bend and it's like, okay, I can still see her. And I let her go home by herself. I did not remember that until just now, even back then I'm right there, but they don't know that. So they have to think about it. And now that I think about it, I've done the same thing with my kids. Even when they don't think that you're there, you're, you're always there. Uh, cause I tell you as a, as a father as a, of a senior in high school, it does not get any easier because this is terrifying because next year it will be the first time in my life that I'm not going to be right there in case that, you know, just in case he needs me. I'm not going to be right there. There's nothing I can do if there's an emergency in college or something. It's like, so you have to prepare yourself for what's to come. But that's why you ask them, you know, what are you worried about? And you see things from their point of view. And that, I mean, that can only make you better as a parent because now you understand what they see in different situations. That's a good point because you never, like, everybody's going to be different. Growing up, I grew up in the country and we had a neighbor that had a dog and the dog bit me on the arm once. And because I was afraid of dogs as, mm-hmm. as a kid, we, I was, my dad had got, had me doing something along the house. I think it was right after it was built. So he actually gave me a shovel and he was like, here's a shovel the dirt back in along the house, right? <laughs> Monumental task is never going to make a dent. In this. Right. But the, the crew wasn't there that day. So I'm out there like trying to help dad out, right? He was on the tractor down talking to the neighbor. Well, all of a sudden their dog shows up and I didn't know this dog. I'd never met him. We had just kind of built the, built the house. So I didn't really know. Him. And I'm like afraid and I'm holding up the shovel and I'm like swinging it back and forth. Like get away from me. You know, I'm, I'm horrified. So dog just runs away. He kind of growls at me and runs away. I peek around the house. Dog sitting by my the only door into the house. And I'm like, mm-hmm. 
because we they built the basement then they built on built on top of it so the basement was done so my mom and my sister were inside here's this dog and i'm like freaking out fight or flight takes effect and i go running down the hill because i'm like well dad's on the tractor can't get in the house so i get about halfway down down the hill and the dog kind of chased me down grabbed me on the shoulder flipped me around didn't bite me hard enough to leave any permanent scars or anything but Mm -hmm. They're probably more in my head than anything else. Right. But for the rest of my childhood, they, they had that dog chained up. They didn't put it down or anything. They kept the dog, but he was always chained up. He got loose a couple of times. I never went anywhere without a BB gun or later oh, a rifle or, or a big pocket knife in my, in my pocket. Anytime I was out of the house for any period of time, that was it. Of course, I had a dog, too, that would, would protect us eventually. But mm-hmm. It was like that was my mice. That was my number one fear. I could go down and play in the creek, <laughs> or shoot guns, or try and catch animals and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Right, didn't, didn't bother me. Never had no fear of any of that. My one fear was that dog being loose. And it's from experience, you know. It's it's yeah. it's what happened to you, and that's what you thought about. And it, it the, those experiences shape a lot of our behaviors, you know, and. I I feel that as adults we have responsibilities, and you know my children have expectations of me. You know, you, our spouses have expectations. You know, the 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 elderly expect the younger people to you know help them and take care of them. So if we're if we're better trained to deal with a situation, then we might react better, right? It's only through training. Just like you said about your experiences with like, you know, we're going to run some some drills or something. And you're like, OK, it's not like for real, but I really need to, like, put some effort into this. Well, that just brings it back to the training. But then if something happened in real life, you you have already done it. It is easier. It is it is it is somewhat normal to you, even though it's, a, it's an abnormal situation it's an emergency. Right. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, today's a good day for an emergency. Let's do this. <laughs> exactly. Like, nobody does that. You got to build so, that muscle, that muscle memory. You absolutely. Know, even, even in your brain of mm-hmm. here's how I react. Here's where things are. Here's what I got to do. Here's my steps. And if you do it slowly, like I tell my kids all the time, and I don't know where I originally heard this. I don't know if you'd ever heard this too, but um, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. You know, and it's like it. it I've, I've tried to explain it to my kids. I'm like, you don't, you don't start off by sprinting. Go slow, figure it out. You know, the, it's the little steps, and it just builds up. And the next thing you know, you're sprint, sprint right through things. It, it's right. perfect analogy for all kinds of things in life. It, it works. There's there's so many lessons learned from the military that if you use them in the right context, they will help you, and they will help anybody. Because when you said slow, smooth, smooth is fast, I can hear my team leader saying that as I was a private going through a mouth city and conducting, you know, close quarters battle, which I've never done. I didn't shoot a gun until I was in the army. So this is all new to me. And now I'm doing it with multiple people and everybody's more experienced than I am. I'm a private, you know, and repetition and repetition and over and over and over and over and I'm a big fan of doctrine and knowledge and doing things right. And if you rehearse and you plan when it's when it's go time, it will be better. I mean, when you're a private in the Ranger Regiment, 
I always said that was the toughest job I ever had in the Army. Out of all the things that I did in my career, the toughest job I ever had was to be a private in the Ranger Regiment. And this private barely spoke English. So I became a very strong private because <laughs> I had to do things a lot of times. But those repetitions really helped when, when it really came time to do my job. And that's how I look at emergency management. The time to prepare is not when a disaster is here. By then, it's too late. If you're not prepared for the disaster now, you should be prepared for the next one, right? Because if you make it through a disaster in your hometown or whatever it might be or a, a vehicle accident or anything, next time, you will be better prepared. If you get into a car wreck, from that day forward, you will pay attention to the road differently. It's like when I bought a motorcycle. I never saw a motorcycle on the road until I purchased one. And then you see them everywhere because you change the way that you see things. Same thing for emergency management. And we are planning, <clears throat> excuse me, we are planning all the time, right? If you're going, if you're going to work, you know at what time you have to wake up so you can get in your car, so you can drive to your place of work, or you can do anything. If you're going to a friend's house, you know what you're going to wear. You know how long it will take you to get there. You know when the kids need to start getting ready. That is all planning. Yep. What I'm trying to teach people is that it is that easy to plan for an emergency. We are doing it all the time. We just need to take those ideas and bring them into just in case something happens, what do we do? It's the same thing. Absolutely. So to recap, everybody should change their mindset a little bit and realize that emergency, you know, emergencies don't have to be, I mean, it could be from a broken arm mm -hmm. or a broken bone or a cut that's not that stopping bleeding all the way up to, you know, full blown tornadoes and hurricanes, house right. fires, things like that. So plan and identify, make sure I kind of get this right here, plan and identify what, you know, change your mindset, plan and identify what your biggest threats are mm -hmm. to yourself and your family, and then start preparing for at least three days worth of food, water, shelter, and fire, mm -hmm. and then expand upon that, yes. uh, and then drill and train for those more likely situations. Correct. That's, 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 that's what we focus plan. on. We focus on, and just in case, we focus on the most, then the more likely scenarios. You know, the aliens might land, <laughs> but we're well, probably we're probably going to lose power before the aliens land. So let's prepare for the power outage before we worry about other things. That's my mindset. I've seen Independence Day and I've seen Mars attacks. I think I'm pretty well prepared oh for the alien invasion. <laughs> I think I think we are all as prepared for an alien invasion as anybody in the movies. Yeah, we exactly. don't know what totally. to do. <laughs> Our heads are not going to explode. It's not going to no. happen. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, by ray guns. But you know, if it's like Mars attacks, they have those glass globes. All you got to do is uh, break them. Right. They can't breathe oxygen or something like that. Right? Listen, if it's if it's aliens or zombies, hopefully, if the zombie apocalypse happens, we're talking like what is it, The Walking Dead versus World War Z. Those I don't want those zombies. Those are too fast, and they're too smart. I need slow zombies. Slow would be good. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You know, that, and, and zombies don't fly, so there's 
That's you good. Know, you, you take That's the air attack out of the. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a <laughs> really good point. Issue. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, let's hope we never in our lifetime have to experience that. That right. would be. That would make COVID look like nothing. Yeah. That's for sure. But uh, anyway, Nestor, I appreciate you coming on here. I've got I've had at the bottom of the screen for anybody who's watching it. Uh, got your email address, um, your website address uh, going on. It's scrolling at the bottom there. Um, anything else that you, any other nuggets of information you want to pass along? How can people reach out to you if, if they want, want some training? Um, so the, the website is JIC emergency prep. Uh, my email is Nestor.Molina at JIC emergency prep.com. And we're on Facebook. It's the same thing. JIC emergency prep. And on Instagram is JIC underscore emergency prep. Uh, shoot me a message. You know, a text, it does not matter. If anybody has questions, again, what we do is we consult, educate, and customize. We don't just give you, here's a kit that you can buy on the side of the road. No, no. We make sure that what you have is what you need. And the most important part of what we do is we educate people into why we chose a particular uh, piece of equipment. We teach you how to use it. And we teach you how to get better and keep getting better as time progresses, right? So consult, educate, and customize. Yeah, because you got to have the right tools because the snow shovel doesn't do anything for you in Puerto Rico, right? (laughs) Well, you know, maybe you can use it to move some sand, but yeah, you probably need different different equipment. And, and, And again, it all depends on where you live, what kind of threats you have in your area. And like I mentioned before, this is not for the aliens or the zombies. Okay, we can move away for those from those for a little bit. This is just in case the power goes out, just in case there's a hurricane, a tornado, a natural disaster, or a man-made, or even a combination of the two, natural and man-made disaster combined. If you are better prepared, you will be okay. And again, perhaps you can help the first responders do their job by not being a victim of the disaster. Absolutely. So there you've got it, everybody. Thank you, Nestor, for, for being here. I just want to make sure everybody kind of got some nuggets of information out of that. Like develop the plan. Listen to this a couple times if you need to. Uh, if you're not yet subscribed or follow, like, and we're on all kinds of different platforms, right? Do that. Connect with us. Listen. And, but most importantly, because this affects everybody. This is not just for veterans. Um, but share this, share this with people, right? Listen to it, come up with an action plan because most of my, most of my listeners and viewers are, are veterans, military community, mm-hmm. right? Develop a plan, right? That's one thing we know how to do really good. Yes. <laughs> come and up with a plan. That plan. Exactly. Come up with a plan, share the plan, assess that plan frequently, you know, run your drills, do your thing. Like don't need to keep, uh, you know, pounding the drum here, but and get involved with your community. Veterans, we, we need to be involved in our communities because there's a lot of information, training, and knowledge that we have that we take for granted. But our communities can be better served with us in it, in the community, whether it's with your volunteer uh, aspect of it or just talking with your neighbor, your small community, all the way up to your county, maybe, maybe even the state just be more involved with your community. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of knowledge that we can share, a lot of experiences that have shaped us to react uh, better just in case of an emergency. Absolutely. Awesome. 
I'll hang out there for a, for a minute, Nestor. We're going to go ahead and play this uh, this ending slide here. But once again, I appreciate you coming on. And, and if anybody needs to contact him and you can't find him through the website or whatever, reach out to the show. <laughs> We're connected, uh, I think, in multiple different platforms. So we'll get the message to Nestor. So 